and welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews. I'm Jenny. I'm Dan. Dan, what did we watch today? <laughs> we watched Back to the Future from 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Isn't this a Steven Spielberg film? Produced. Ah, that's how they get you. They put his name on the front in a big title card. Uh, they put his name first. Presented by Steven Spielberg, they say. And then after that title card, it says a Robert Zemeckis film. So, I don't know what he was coming off of in 85, but they really got his E.T. Name. Yeah? Isn't it? I have no idea. I didn't. I thought about Googling that, and I decided... Well, Steven Spielberg, you know, he's done a lot. He's coming... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. Uh, That's a hot take, but I'm not going to contest you on it. Is it a hot take? No. Okay, good. Yeah, Back to the Future. What did you think of Back to the Future? We're skipping to the end of the episode already? No, this is where you say it was one of the best. Oh, gosh darn it. Yeah, the formula, Jenny. Respect it. <laughs> gotta say, <laughs> this has got to be one of the top 100 movies of all time, which sparks to my mind. Dan, why don't you explain what we do on this podcast? Uh, we're watching the top 100 movies of all time as chosen by fans on IMDb. So there's some, so to give you an idea, this isn't all classics. As a, well, I should say, this isn't all high cinematic no. literature, so to speak, as evidenced by the fact that we are watching Back to the Future. And we've already watched Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fan curated, so. I got to say, I really like 80s movies. Yeah, they're fun. They, they are, are fun. They're a fun time. I, I can't believe Ferris Bueller isn't on this list. That's a good point. It feels like if we're going to be knocking out stuff like Back to the Future, then Bueller might as well make a make an appearance. But Bueller had to make room for Joker and uh, Dark Knight Rises as well. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is on here. There's weird choices on this list. But, you know, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Well, it's all here because that's... That's all we're doing here. That's why we're here. Yeah, so it is here and there. Is it there? I feel mostly here about it. That's fair. That doesn't rhyme. That's a slant rhyme. I said it's everywhere. Fair. Everywhere. Fair. Everywhere. Where and fair is a perfect rhyme. That is not a slant rhyme. English is weird. Slant rhyme is if the middle consonants rhyme like brag and rant but like what m does yeah or how he got orange to rhyme with syringe just by bending the pronunciation orange oranges syringes oranges peach pears plums yep here i come i forget like, what song uh, that's off of but like fiskars fiskars rhymes with whiskars there's a... Fiskars is a Midwest brand of Scissors There's a for line. the uninitiated. That's true. And they get mad about it because everyone says Fiskars. Yeah, because we're Midwestern. Gonna go get a fish fry. Uh, cut open the bag with a Fiskars scissor here. Trusted brand name. <laughs> There's Denzel Curry's new mixtape where he could have put in a Fiskar rhyme, but he did not. He says, I don't like Pixar, Miss Star... Could have thrown in Fiskar. Just a little. You can put in Denzel Curry as a tag now for SEO. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we make a podcast, we incorporate rap themes into movie reviews and we call it That's a Rap. Holy hell. Why are we even doing this one? <laughs> cut the, cut everything. We're moving over. Oh boy. This will right, be episode this... one. So this movie starts, and I do just want to point out. That a movie only gets one chance one for shot. a beginning. Do not miss its chance to blow. Save that for the second podcast. Oh, my bad. That's a wrap. So you only get one shot to really establish your movie's themes. And Robert Zemeckis does, does a good it. Job. He does it very tastefully, <laughs> very subtly, by slowly panning over about 500 clocks <laughs> that are all ticking. And we see all the title cards... Everything comes through. Lots of clocks. Back to the future. We're talking about time. I liked the 
of the back because it looks like it's going back and then to the future is going forward. Can you believe that graphic design? I never noticed that. Pretty clever little call out. Mm -hmm. I do like these ramshackle inventions because I kind of knew off the bat that we were looking at the docks place. Right. So. I mean, we've all, we've all seen the movie when we were like six years old in somebody else's basement. We yeah. were over at Grandpa's for Thanksgiving and we didn't want to help make the turkey, put something mm. on to keep us distracted. Oh, we have this VHS from VHS's were first a thing. God. It's hyper specific, but I Do you think get the sentiment. Gen Zers don't know about VHS's, do they? I mean there's some. Meadow probably. won't know about a VHS, will she? Mm-hmm. Well Maybe. Because Ryan will teach her. Yeah. The good old days. He will also teach her about this movie, because this is actually my brother's, one of his favorite movies. Well, he met Biff. Yeah, at a at a wedding, in Ve- his wedding. His own wedding. Was in Vegas, and he saw Biff Tannen. And uh, it's funny, because they were walking through, and my brother's a massive Back to the Future freak. And he sees fucking Biff Tannen walk through the hotel out of nowhere, so he jumps up, runs over to him, and asks this guy that... Biff is with for a picture. I don't know the guy's name, but I think he's equally famous as Biff, if not more relevant right now. He's the guy who plays Zach Galifianakis's mother in Baskets. So he asks this stranger to take a picture of him with Biff. Turns out that dude was, he's in more current shit. So I don't know, funny. Also a very happy circumstance for him. He's got that picture with Biff Tannen, who I have no idea his real name. <laughs> That's okay. This isn't like a movie podcast or anything. Why do we know actors? Well, how, when, how often are you going to need to know who Biff Tannen is played by? Probably Trivia Night. Fuck. Yeah, that's true. Well, we know the director's not seen Spielberg. I bet some teams would put down Spielberg. Idiots. Idiot moron. Trivia teams. Anyhow. <laughs> we're in the Doc's place. All these ramshackle inventions i think are a cool way of showing this guy's a genius but he's also zany you know just a a nice surface level characterization also some good exposition that the brown estate was destroyed and there's a newscaster on that says there's some missing plutonium and then we see uh marty kick some plutonium under the doctor's bed too which is not exposition in the way that is Completely explicit. I like um, things to be clear. And he gets a call while at the doc's place. And the doc says, meet me at one fifteen tonight at Twin Pines Mall. Oh, I also really like the Rube Goldberg machine. To feed the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also Marty knows where the key is and he rolls up on a skateboard and he enters. So it establishes him and Doc have a really good relationship. Yeah, they're, they're buddies and it also sets it up because this whole time Marty goes in and he rocks out on this mega speaker oh, and gets blasted away. So shortly after the meeting is set up, he skates off to school. So within five minutes, it's it's not exactly deep characterization or anything, but we know exactly who we're dealing with. Well, so Marty's- it's efficient. A fly guy. He's he pretty a, fly. He's pretty fly. He's McFly. I wonder if that was intentional or if they... Of course it's intentional. McFly? Like, eh, I don't know. Most of McFly's are depressing. But... Oh, that's true. One fifteen meeting. Marty skates to school by skitchin on the back of a bunch of stranger cars. He just doesn't give a shit. He's, nah, he's, he's cool as hell. He's too cool for school. He's fly, as you've said. His his band wants he's auditioning. He's got a girl. Her name's Jennifer. Great name. Yes. He's got a girl. They try to sneak him in. He gets caught and him and his girlfriend are lectured by this principal. It starts off I I assume he's a principal or a truant officer. Yeah, I This lecture starts off pretty much exactly as you would expect. He says, "Oh, Marty Fourth, tardy in a row. Are you hanging out with that strange old man? He's no good. He's dangerous." And then he just starts saying, like, horribly mean shit. He's like, you're a slacker. Your dad was a slacker. No McFly will ever amount to anything in this town. Like, goes from wholesome preaching to 
vicious ridicule to a, a student and it was jarring to say the least but you know that's life as a teen in the 80s huh marty's got a ragtag group of buds who are an acoustic not acoustic um they don't have a singer they're instrumental so i think they're applying to play at prom yeah the dance the dance the dance and we don't know any of the band members' names, no, as far as I'm aware. But they all have longer hair. And they all rock. They do rock. I put up the devil horns on that, just for the listeners to know. I'd argue they also roll. That's a good point. I won't challenge the rolling. They rock and roll? They're, they do rock and roll, and they are very loud. They're too loud. They're rejected because they're too loud, but I thought, damn, that's pretty badass. They're up there just ripping it. After no. this, uh, Marty goes home. So pretty quick day at school. This seems like bef- they take off and they're kind of sitting around. They're sitting at the uh, the park, him and his girl. And these old ladies try to save the clock tower, you know. And they talk about going camping and how his mom is going to lecture him. And this whole thing was cracking me up because I can't think of an example, but you know when people kind of send up or spoof the the teen comedy where they're like, my mom's on my case again, and sure. I'm going to get the car and we're going to go to the lake and all that. This, this movie is doing it, but you know it's, it's the actual movie. It's not spoofing being a teen or whatever. It's like, these are teens. These are teen problems. Look at how much of a teenager this couple is, you know. Just, it, it cracked me up as being so in your face about how they're rebellious youths and their parents blow and they're trying to get out of here to the lake to go make out or bang or whatever. During this teen drama, we find out that Marty finds out exactly when the clock tower gets struck by lightning and never ticks again. Mm-hmm. And he kisses his girl and she writes the phone number of her grandmama on a piece of paper that says, I love you. Mm. And Huey Lewis's The Power of Love has been playing. Huey Lewis got mentioned in the title cards, too, which I thought was interesting. No, I didn't notice. They did basically use The Power of Love to set up the whole movie. Did, yeah. That, that must have been in the contract. Like, yeah, you can use The Power of Love, but I'm going on the title card. Do you think it's because McFly used to be a renegade? He used to fool around? I'm not familiar enough with Huey Lewis to go along with this. Oh. But I respect it. They really came into their own in their 1985 hit. American Psycho's on this list. We're yeah. Gonna, we're going to be watching that. Can't wait. Can't wait to get that quote right. Um, so then he goes back home and we get introduced to Biff who's treating Mr. George McFly all shitty. Like, where's my report? You suck kind of stuff, which really sucks. And he destroyed his car. He, yeah, very important. He was drunk driving and totaled his car. George's car. Yeah. And that Marty was going to use to go to the lake this weekend. Yeah. And uh, so we see Marty's dad getting bullied and he fears confrontation. And then... After Biff leaves, Marty starts bullying his dad. Yeah, I thought that was so shitty. But I know I was that shitty when I was a teenager. So we go into this dinner scene. The family dinner, which is George. His wife. (laughs) His daughter. His. And his two sons. Jane, his wife. Um, Lorraine. Lorraine, yeah, okay. I do want to... I don't know the siblings' names. No. I remember Joey, her jailbird brother... Yeah, so he was supposed to be at this dinner, but what didn't get parole or something? Yeah. Jailbird brother and rehabilitated, what institutionalized. That I want to say that this scene is so uncomfortably miserable. Mm-hmm. I get that the vibe is like, look at their life now; it it's pretty shitty. They're sad, but I mean, in this scene, the kids are listless. And the girl's the, doing her hair at the dinner table. Yeah, the the mom recounts the story of how she met the dad. And he's watching TV, awkwardly laughing. She's visibly downtrodden about her life. It's so painful to watch. And not, not like in a, ooh, this sucks. It, it truly made me uncomfortable and felt miserable. So I did not like this scene at all. Really? Yeah. 
I mean, it felt sad, but at least they weren't completely dysfunctional. Yeah, they Like, the they kids were shitty, and the dad was... Yeah. <laughs> kids were shitty, dad was absent, mom was an alcoholic. He's like, oh, I met, met George, and, oh, that's my life. After dinner... Marty comes up to his truck, a DeLorean pops out of it, and we meet the doc, who is introducing his experiment... And is Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Have you seen My Favorite Martian? No. That one should be on this list. Is it good or is it so bad it's, it's good? It's so bad. I think we've talked about My Favorite Martian before. It's not got, on this podcast. I, think, I feel like it has Dan Aykroyd in it. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd, Dan and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Christopher Lloyd, Dan Aykroyd. That's a... That's a wrap. That's, <laughs> that's how we end that podcast when we make it. Really great. Um, Marty films this whole thing where Christopher Lloyd... With a big-ass camera. Huge. So 80s. Yeah. Home VHS making. The doc tests the time travel machine. With Einstein. With his dog. Yeah. Which is messed up. Truly. So he, he like, frantically explains the rules of time travel. They're straightforward enough. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Punch in the date. You have to use the flux capacitor. He explains how it came to him in a dream when he hit his head and he spent 30 years trying to uh, trying to make, you know, this flux capacitor a reality. And when he's doing this, he's displaying how the car works. So he punches in the very day he invents time travel into the car. Yeah. He sends Einstein a minute into the future. Right. Einstein comes back. Right. And then Libyans. But uh, there is something very... It's not super subtle or anything, but I thought it was thoughtful for how wacky the movie has been up to this point. As they're sitting in the parking lot and he's explaining time travel, he has this moment where he kind of looks around and sees, you know, the mall and the parking lot and kind of reminisces, you know, when I was here 30 years ago, this was all farm fields and none of this was here. And he kind of pauses a bit. And I thought it was pretty thoughtful how he's noticed, he says, all this time I've been working on it. And is realizing how much of his life he has lost in the pursuit of time travel. It it felt very thoughtful where he's realizing, you know, how important that time may have been. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, that's so funny because I took it in stride because my grandparents and my parents talk like that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, when I was driving around with my grandpa, we'd go around town, and he'd be like, this hospital used to all be farm, yeah. and stuff like that. So it didn't really phase me, but that's so interesting to think about. Anyhow, Einstein pops back into present time, and uh, it's a success. And then uh, Doc says, hey, I'm going to do the maiden voyage now. They kind of say their goodbyes. He says, I'm going 25 years into the future to see what happens. And that does not come to pass. No. Why not? Libyans. He stole he stole their plutonium. Well, yeah, he stole it because they gave it to him because he was supposed to make them a bomb. But instead, he filled something full of pinballs. Yeah, pinball machine parts in a metal case and figured that they wouldn't find him. And they show up in a van. He's like, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. And they're in the middle of a parking lot in the middle of town. You know, it doesn't feel super discreet, but he gets... Uh, attacked by the Libyans and shot. Yeah, and he doesn't have enough time to put another plutonium thing in the car. Yeah. So there's only the one. Much like a PIM particle. Yes. There's only the one PIM. Exactly. For the end game time travel. They attack and murder Doc. Marty gets chased around the parking lot. Hops in the DeLorean. It kind of teases a couple times that the speedometer's going, it's almost 88 Drops back down, almost 88, and then he zips to 88, disappears, leaves the Libyans behind, appears in a cornfield, and uh, crashes into a barn. One thing I'd like to call out is that since 1985, the JCPenney logo hasn't changed. Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what it is. Is it just JP in a red circle? No, it's JCPenney, and it's in red. Just the words? Well, the initial JC. And Penny, and it's real close. The kerning for the JCP is pretty close. Hmm. Well, maybe they had a phase in the 90s where they put a bunch of spikes on it. Or, uh, you know, armor plating and then brought it back to basics. 
in the 2000s. Silly! Okay, he crashes into a farmhouse, and a farm family comes out, and the little boy is holding a science fiction magazine, and the airbag suit that deploys when Marty crashes into a bunch of stuff. It's looks the anti-radiation exa- suit. Oh, okay. Looks exactly like the little boy comic book astronaut alien man. So they freak out. Well, the family runs off. He leaves the farm and he's like, this has to be a dream. I have a headache. But then he drives past the Lion Estates, which is where he lives in 1985. And then he realizes, oh my God, I'm actually back in time. So he hides the he hides the DeLorean because he can't go back to the future. Not yet. Yes, he's basically trapped. He's trapped in 1955. But he's trying to figure out how to go anywhere. So he goes into town, because town's still the same. And he happens upon a phone booth sign. And the phone booth is within this diner. So he goes into the diner. And by golly, Dan, who is in that diner? He sees his dad in there. But I do want to say real quick, I feel like this whole sequence... Is way too long. Right, which is why I'm trying to go through it quick. No, <laughs> <laughs> so he crashes, we see he's back in time. He knows he's back. He should know immediately. He still says, oh, I don't know, but he just witnessed time travel. He's walks through town. We have to see and get freaked out by everything that's going on. And then eventually he finds a newspaper or something, and it says 1955, and he has this music cue. <laughs> and we were in on it five minutes ago. But we still had to sit through all this, and it's like, just cut it down a bit. Um, Marty comes into a soda fountain. I like this scene. Biff comes in, or someone comes in, and says, McFly, told you to never come in here. And then both Marty and the guy sitting next to him turn at the same time. Cool little reveal. He's sitting right next to his dad, George. And Biff is accosting them, basically... Has the same exact lines as he did in present day about doing his homework for him. Uh, think McFly, think that classic line. And that's pretty much it. So we see that George is there. He also gives the mayor, the future mayor, the idea to be mayor. Oh, yeah. He... So we can see that there are real life consequences with time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, or, oh my God. What? This implies that. Time is circular, and Marty gave him the idea all along. But then how did he change the life of his father later? Time is a flat circle. It's a, more of a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. So Doctor Who and True Detective have staunchly different takes on time. I guess you could say that. He meets George, and he knows George has to meet Lorraine, and... He's just following this guy around. Sorry, he goes to the phone booth. We forgot that part. He rips out a page of the phone book. And the the diner man didn't yell at him for this one. Yeah, he was clearly a hard ass by telling him to buy something. And basically went from being cooperative. Yeah, we got a phone in the back. Next time he sees him, you gonna buy something, jacket? Like he was pissed that he had not yet bought anything. But he lets him take the phone book page. George, pretty much, it was weird to me. He nonchalantly just gets up and leaves. And Marty follows him. He turns around, George is gone. He's biking off. And next we see him, he is up in a tree with binoculars watching Lorraine change. He's just a peeping Tom. And it is so ridiculously over the top and creepy how he midday climbed a tree and was just staring across the street with binoculars. Bizarre. Uh, Marty talks him down from the tree and basically convinces him to ask her out uh, as far as... Or did he fall out of the tree? I feel like he fell out of the tree and then he was about to get hit by the car. And then Marty pushed him out of the way and Marty got hit by the car. Yes. He star- I think he startled him though. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he basically takes the, uh, the car hit. It's brought inside by the guy who hit him, Lorraine's dad. His grandpa. His grandpa. And he wakes up 
in his mom's bed. Well, there's two twin beds in that room. And I don't know why. Because she did not seem to have a sister of similar age, but maybe for the younger sister, it was the her bed. Because there were like four or five kids. Yeah, there which was... Which is too many kids. And the mom was also pregnant. Yeah. With them, so another one on the way. So they probably have to really share rooms. Uh, do you want to talk about this bedroom scene? No. <laughs> not at all. We'll just, we'll just blast over it by saying Lorraine is so into Marty. She's it so is hot for him. She knows what his underwear says and she calls him Kelvin because his underwear says Kelvin Klein and I thought that was kind of funny because yeah. moms used to stitch the names in underwear for some probably because they had like 15 kids. How else would they sort the laundry? So she's all breathy want like wanting like, oh, nice underwear. Like, really into him. Yeah. Creepy. And then they have dinner, and she says he can stay the night and sleep in her room and grabs his leg under the table. Very forward. Incredibly forward. He obviously is skeeved out. Well, say obviously skeeved out because if you're aware that a person is your mother in a time travel situation, you would do every single thing in your power to avoid any romantic situation with that person. So in this scene, he's freaked out and runs. But we see that what I just said, avoid at all costs, it's not really Marty's priority based on some plans he comes up with later to write everything, which we'll <laughs> come back to. Um, but it's a very weird plan. He uh, he kind of dips out uh, immediately to get away from the situation. He goes to Doc's yeah, house. He, he finds out from the family where the address should be because all the street names are different because... Since 1955 and 1985, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, tragically. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> Can't be remorseful <laughs> for John <laughs> F. Kennedy. <laughs> throwing it tragically to be like, just in case any JFK fans out there don't think we put enough respect on his name, <laughs> we'll talk about how it's tragic that he was shot. JFK was assassinated, tragically. <laughs> So he was tragically assassinated. But that's something that um, the summary, I guess, we're kind of skipping over specific lines. Well, do we have to talk about specific lines? No, no, not at all. But I'll talk about specific lines. I think for this particular movie, it's worth mentioning that there are jokes such as when Marty says, Oh, that road is just past JFK Boulevard. And the guy says, Who is JFK? You know? When they're setting up the TV. I don't know. I don't know what show. Oh, the one of these days, Stella, straight to the moon. What? Wow. Uh, they're watching Jackie Gleason, and Marty says, Oh, this one's a classic. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? This is new. <laughs> With a little bitch kid in his Davy Crockett hat. <laughs> oh, it's the 50s. Oh, it's yeah. the 50s. We have names written on our underwear. Anyway, he goes up. Uh, he goes to Doc's 55 home. Marty goes to Doc's house and he answers the door. He's got this ridiculous mind-reading thing on his head. And I don't exactly recall what was said, but uh, they basically kind of talked about earlier when Marty was making up excuses. He mentioned a specific car or something like that. And then when Doc was grilling him, he said, you want to sell me a type of car? Like, And it was the same car. So, I wish I wrote down the examples, but it kind of implies that this mind control or mind reading thing he invented did work to a degree. It just wasn't accurate enough, but he could sense words coming out. So I thought that was cool. But, he's got this ridiculous thing, doesn't believe that he is from the future and is not going to help him. But Marty uh, proves he's from the future by describing the exact event that caused Doc to get a bump on his head. The flux capacitor, he fell, hit his head on the sink, all that. So Doc's bought in at this point. And, um, yeah, uh, they end up reviewing some footage, talk about how Marty is stuck in 55, and they devise a plan for how they're going to get Marty back to his own time. This kind of was funny to me. A little fourth wall break 
where Doc says, Marty, we're sending you back to the future. And he's all emphatic and animated, but they work it in so he basically points directly at the camera and looks at us when he says, back to the future. I'm just kind of, this whole movie has so many things that are not super clever, but they're hokey and really campy. fun. You can't, that's a word. Yeah, they're campy. So positive, positive cheesiness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, they make a plan and um, start to act on it. So Marty finds out he's got to spend a week in 1955 because the lightning strike that we learned about earlier is going to hit the tower and then that's going to give them enough gigawatts or whatever to start up the car because they don't have enough plutonium. So he just has to make it until then, which also happens to be the night of the dance. Yes. Enchantment under the sea. And he knows that he needs to get his dad to ask out his mom because Doc also shows um, how in the family photograph, the older brother whose name we can't recall, his head's gone. No, erased from existence. So there are high stakes for Marty. Very Not good. only does he have to get back to 1985, he has to get back to 1985 as a legitimized human being. So his interruption of the car crash scene is throwing life in disarray for 1985. So he's he's um his minor mission is to get his dad to boink his mom. <laughs> what a cap of this of the stakes. He's got a he's got to be matchmaker for his mom and dad, which is complicated by the fact that his mom is moments away. She's from quivering, stripping each other like her loins. They're frothed up. Oh God, I hate that imagery. But also, that's also what I was gonna say. <laughs> so Doc and Marty go to school to act on this plan. Yep. And Marty runs into his dad and his mom, and he's basically just kind of walking around. Yeah, his mom and dad don't know each other at this point. His dad's kind of a loser, and he's writing science fiction. Yeah, he's... That he doesn't let anybody read. Super into sci-fi. And his mom's pretty cool. Yeah, she's popular and has a lot of friends, is targeted by Biff. I think at this point, I forget what he says, but he's basically saying like... Oh, I know you want it, kind of stuff. Yeah. In the cafeteria, and he's like hugging her and shit. Yeah. And Marty tries to get his dad to act on it. His dad's a pussy-ass bitch. Yes. <laughs> Um, so he goes up and he confronts Biff, which is awesome. Yeah, I forget, what, does he, he punches him or something? He I doesn't punch him yet. He, um, he, like, pulls at him, and then Biff stands up straight, and then Marty's, like, 5'8", and Biff is, like, 6'5". Yeah. So they make it seem like, oh, he's gonna kick the shit out of him, and then the principal shows up, and Biff's like, hey, you get a pass because you're new, don't fuck with me again. Mm-hmm. And um, the mom uses some 1950s language. Isn't he dreamy? What a dreamboat. Oh, yeah. What a dreamboat. So she's boat. just getting hotter for him. Frothy's fine. Let's see his frothy. So Marty harasses George that night. But. But what? How's he dressed? Oh, he puts on his radiation suit. Yeah. And he says his name is Darth Vader. He comes from Planet Vulcan. Uh, all that sort of stuff. And this kind of raises a question for me. What The whole concept of the movie is nuts that A, his parents don't recognize him as their son. Like What? This is I mean, I look a lot like my mom, but I don't feel like my parents would recognize me if I popped up in 19 when did they first meet? 75. Well, what if you were involved in an incredibly pivotal day in their lives? Well, they haven't seen him again for 30 years. Yeah. You wouldn't... I'd, I mean, I, I, don't I don't have the knowledge it takes to be somebody who could recognize something from 30 years ago. But if I don't have a picture for reference, I don't feel like I'm recognizing somebody from 30 years ago. That's fair. I feel like part of your lizard brain would just store... My lizard brain can't remember facts for trivia. I am not remembering faces from 30 years ago. I don't know, man. I But the... yeah. Especially I, since you're seeing your friends gradually age around you. You're not going to think like, oh, this fresh young teen face will look the same forever. This kind of reminds me of an earlier episode of this show. This podcast. 
with Inception, where, you know, um, Mr. Saito and Cobb, they had that arrangement at the end where Saito was stuck in purgatory for, you know, like 30, like 30 to 40 years of his life. And he sees Cobb and it's just a, a faded memory kind of. And I think that obviously this is way too metaphysical for Back to the Future, but I feel like in a real, say, say you had saw your kid and 30 years later, your child has grown into that person you ran into. There would be something nagging at the back of your mind. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying I think there there might be some sensation that would tick you off as to something being afoot. And that that's all I really want to say. Time travel's weird, man. Uh, so, Marty harasses him with the alien suit. Tells him he's going to melt him. It's a radiation suit. His pretend to be an alien suit. <laughs> Says he's going to melt him if he does not... Ask Lorraine to the dance. You want to pick us up after this alien harassment? Alien harassment. Next up, they're... Well, let's skip to the diner. They're at the diner. Marty is looking hot as shit. He's got his slicked hair. Got his button up. He's not wearing the life preserver any longer. He also, to be fair, he... He was not wearing the life preserver after talking to Doc at the high school. But that that doesn't matter because the, that joke is mostly because <laughs> George is at the diner and he goes to try to talk to Lorraine. And she like recognizes him. But Biff comes in and he says, I thought I told you to never come here, George. <laughs> and, um... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he, he's trying to kick out George. He's trying to, like, give me your money, kind of stuff. And then Marty comes in. He's too dreamy. He's too dreamy for this. And there's a, there's a crazy scenario. He, like, punches Biff. And Biff is pissed. Yeah. Chases him out of the fountain. Marty. Invents skateboards. He invents skateboards. Those are, I think those are apple crates. Yeah, he rips up an apple crate with wheels on it, skates out of there. Biff is straight up trying to murder him. Yeah, because he got his buddies, and they've got a T-40, or whatever they had back then. And they're trying to ram him against various stuff. But Marty is too 80s for these boys, because he's, he's skidding, he's scatting. I don't know skateboard terms, but he's, he's doing stuff, he's doing crazy stuff. And they're trying to ram him against the side of this truck, but Marty does some sweet move, and they don't hit Marty in this murder-death chase scene. They end up hitting this truck of manure, and it pours all up in the car. Mm-hmm. And that just gets his mom hotter. Yeah, she's like, oh shit, that was amazing. Also earlier, I used the term skitching. Uh, to describe how Marty got to school. I don't know if that's what you are referring to by skateboard terms. You said skidding and scatting. Yeah. I only know what skitching is because of Tony Hawk's Underground. Is this a Tony Hawk rap movie bitch podcast? Yes. What's our new title? We're going to have to spend some time in the... (laughs) You fucks. We're going to have to spend some time in the lab for that one. But in Tony Hawk's Underground, uh, you could... Grab onto the back of a car and skitch. He got points for skitching, so that's why I know that term. I You longboarded. Yeah. Yes, I did. I was rad as shit. I also never did anything difficult on it. Just uh, cruised around. It was fun. I think I still have Do one. Do you want a one wheel? No, they're terrifying. Oh, okay. They're too fast and uh, dangerous. Okay. So, <laughs> Marty goes to visit Doc now. And this is actually kind of heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so, quick giggling. Heavy. It's, What's wrong with the future? Why is everything heavy? Is there some gravitational event? That kind of... Mm. So, this was back in high school. In the Our high, school high school scene. No. Okay. Uh, Doc doesn't understand why Marty's using slang. And it's kind of funny. Like, oh, he's... Such a 
such a scientific guy. He's a fish out of water in high school. And then at one point he says, we need to convince your mother and father to mate or something ridiculous. It's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. And then the he does it again with the dance. He's like, look, a synchronized movement ritual. It's like, okay, you would call it a dance, you know. The third one was overstaying its welcome on that joke. Just remembered um, that it bugged me. Is that heavy? It's not that heavy. It's medium. What is slang now? Are we too old for it? Yeah. The most recent one I know is lit. Lit. I think uh, yeet is done. <laughs> not for me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'll still use it, which means it's done. Oh, yeah. We're 25. Yeah, it's... I don't, I don't know the slang, but I don't want to. I'll figure it out in a couple of years and then use it when it's done. We should have a daughter just to embarrass her. No. <laughs> should have no children ever. Ten cats. Yes. I'm I'm okay with ten cats. As Sorry. long as Pugsley's okay. Hey, man. Can we have a kitten after this when we move in August? Nine cats? Cool. Can we have two cats? I don't know. We'll send an email and ask when we move in. Anyway, so Marty visits Doc and he walks in on him watching the recording from the VHS tape and he's like, wow, this is quite the machine. And I don't know if he, I kind of assumed that he had already seen the whole tape, including his death, and was re-watching it for info because he seems kind of shaken when Marty comes in and uh, he says, oh, wow, this is the tape. And he also is seeing the tape when Doc on the tape is freaking out about who's arriving. So the fact that he's so worried about... he Doc seems very worried. I think he knows that he gets shot to death in the future at this point. Um, as far as fan... Like a little fan theory. I think he's aware of his death. And all that stuff later in the movie about preserving the future. Is just to ensure that Marty stays careful. And all that kind of stuff. But Marty walks into Doc's place. He's watching the tape. And they create a plan to send... Um, you know, Marty back, basically, with the... Back to where? The future. Yo! Or they're talking about it. This was funny because they get a model of the town, and Doc says, forgive the crudity of this model. I haven't had time to paint it or build it to scale. And it's like a super detailed town model. Uh, it was funny to me. And again, shows the the underlying competency of Doc. You know, it's it's good. He's He's a silly guy, but he's a serious scientist. And Lorraine arrives... And asks Marty to ask her to the dance. Like it is pretty much mission failed at this point. Nothing to do with George. And then uh, next scene, Marty and George are kind of talking about how to win over Lorraine. No, no, no. You forgot his plan with Doc. What's his plan with Doc? He's gotta, he's gotta get George to save her. Oh, he comes up with his plan with Doc? Doesn't he? I yeah. remember that he was saying to George. <sighs> well, he doesn't say to George... He's like, yeah, you come in and uh, tell me to get my hands off of her and she swoons for you. Yeah. That was with George. The key here is that Marty has devised a plan in which he feels up his mother in a car Yep. while making out. And he's like, yeah, I'll take it too far. She'll get uncomfortable. <laughs> and then you come and save her. She'll love it. Uh, so, again, I mentioned earlier... If anybody's ever in that scenario, you avoid it at all costs. Marty is... Right. (laughs) I gotta feel it, my mom, or I'll die. Yeah. I know. I'll just kill myself now. Well, it's like, those aren't even the two options. (laughs) It's like, I'll feel it, my mom, or come up with a different way to not die. He's like, I'm... I'm diving in. We're, we're I'm going. diving I'm in. Diving. Dive into that frothy Re- muff. Returning to the womb. Ooh. <laughs> yours is worse. Yeah, I think yours is pretty bad. <laughs> um, Nobody yeah. says muff anymore. That's true. That's a shame. You've said it twice in about thirty seconds, though. So I think we're good for the next year. <laughs> uh, Marty and George are discussing how to win over the mom. We cut back to Marty and Doc. Oh, like, you, we cut back. That's why I was a little... Yeah, so he goes out and plans, and then it kind of goes forward to the, pretty much the night of... The dance. Yeah. So they they view the model of the town. Lorraine shows up and says, ask me to the dance. And Marty says, okay. 
And then he is talking with George and says, I'm going to feel out my mom. You come save her. She'll fall head over heels for you. Yes. And then it's the night of the dance and Marty He's going to make sure she makes a lot of noise. Yeah. Which is horrible. What are you doing to your mom, man? Marty and Doc are talking. And this is nice. This is another moment that felt very authentic to me or however you want to say it. They are talking and Marty realizes his friend Doc is going to die. And he has a chance to save him. So he says, Doc, listen, you got to know that on this night, and Doc stops him and says, no, it's the flow of time. These things happen, and you just got to let it be. So it kind of feels nice that, you know, this doctor who invents time travel is musing on the importance of the passage of time. And it ties back into earlier in the movie when he realizes he has sacrificed his whole life. I feel like uh, it's uh, amusing by the director or writer or whatever who wants to. So night of the dance. We find out how cool his mom is because he drives her up there. I don't know whose car it is. Doc's car? Someone's car. He has procured a car. They're in a car. They're in a car and Lorraine busts out (laughs) like a fifth. Yeah. (laughs) Where did she get it? She's got booze. She says anybody who's anybody drinks. And then she starts smoking, too. And she takes off her jacket. Which reveals a very deep-cut dress. Yeah, I think it's definitely made to show, like, she's looking to get down. She wants to make out with Marty. She wants to get drunk and uh, wants to smoke. Which is funny because earlier Marty made this plan off of the idea that she hates all that stuff because she never did that when she was a kid, but... We see, you know, as a parent, she knows what kids do and doesn't want her kids to do it. So she claims that, but Marty's in a sticky situation. I feel like that version of it doesn't work. I feel like, oh, don't drink, don't smoke. It's so bad for you. Like, that never works on the kids whose parents are too strict about it. Yeah. Like, my parents, when I was growing up, they were like, aren't you, you don't want a beer? Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> not not I don't care. Well, I don't the, care. I'm not saying I don't care about no, the story. I'm I saying understood. no, I don't care about drinking. As in, I, I like my par- my parents didn't care if I drank. They didn't care if I smoked. I didn't have a curfew. It's because I was staying in my room watching anime all night. And you came out awesome. Still, still watching anime. Yes, me too. Hey, so they're drinking. They're smoking. Her tits are out. <laughs> there's pills there's gambling um, cars bus so his mom makes the move on him stuck in the car the whole time she doesn't even go into the dance until later yeah and she makes the move o'clock. on him so they roll up 855 and george knows at nine o'clock he is meant to come out we see some band i i don't know if that's huey lewis in the news but we see him being no, awesome. It's, it's Chuck Berry's cousin or something. Yeah. Because uh, when Marty rocks out, he calls for Chuck. He's like, hey, it's your cousin, like Miles Berry or something, or Tim Berry. And they say Berry like that. Anyway. anyway that was really on. That was <laughs> in sync. Biff shows up to be a fucking criminal. Se- he's going to sexually assault. Lorraine and yeah. he drags yeah. Marty out of the car and he gets his posse to drag Marty away so he can get a few minutes. Lorraine is fighting him. It's very distressing and I think that obviously we want the the filmmaker wants us to hate. Yeah. But they it is so villainous that it again feels ridiculous. Oh cartoonish. Like, yeah. It's uh, it's way too far for... They, they could have done so much less and everyone still would have been on board for Biff getting punched. Um, speaking of which, George charges, charges out at nine. For the Marty plan. For the Marty plan to save Lorraine from Hansy Marty. But who does he find? He finds Biff. And he opens the door and she says, George, help me. Which is like fucked up. And yeah. he almost, like, lets it happen. We see that. That's good filmmaking. But then he forms a fist. Yeah. And he fucking clocks Biff, knocks his ass out, 
saves Lorraine, and then they go back to the dance floor, and then she gets taken away by some ginger fuck? Yeah, the, that the weaseliest little guy. So Lorraine is head over heels for him at this point. She, uh, she was saved by him. She's smitten. And weaselly little ginger. I do want to say this forming of the fist. When I saw that, I realized, um, I, I think, the music video for Everlong by the Foo Fighters. You know that scene where, you know, the criminals or crooks or whatever come and attack the Dave Grohl and his girlfriend in the video? He forms a fist and then beats them all up. Uh, I think that's direct homage to this scene. thought it was neat. I love that video and song. And it was fun to make that connection. Shitty little redhead steals a rain. And George at first is all meek. And then goes up and shoves the kid to the ground. Yeah. And takes Lorraine back. You yeah. Know, he's a fully realized man now. Get her. He attacks people. Not people. Sexual assailants. Yes. I forgot the tension of the fact that the ginger kid took Lorraine. Because at this point, Marty was playing guitar for the band because the guitarist got his hand hurt. And he saw his hand fading when the ginger took Lorraine. And then as soon as George smacks him and kisses Lorraine, everyone pops back into the picture. Things are secure. He's all good to go. Yeah. Want to tell us about the take it away? Well, I mean... (laughs) So we kind of talked about this, the Chuck Berry... Listen to this. Yeah. So I think this is so campy because Michael J. Fox is up there playing bass and he's like, hey, play a, a blues beat and beat. And then he plays some Huey Lewis in the news song. I don't know which one. Yeah, like, so I thought it was a King Louis. Oh, it could have been. It could have. Oh, he said this was an oldie, but a goldie. And then he plays the newer one. Yeah. I, for, I forget the song, but it's a good song. It's a Huey Lewis one, because I'm pretty sure that's Huey Lewis singing, and it's dubbed over Michael J. Fox, which made me think about Tiger King. I oh, thought that was really funny. Yeah, all the country bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, apropos of nothing. But it amused me, and I know Tiger King's a hot topic, so now we can do hashtag Tiger King for these last couple minutes here. Perfect. <laughs> Um, hashtag. Tag. I don't know. Tag. I feel like everyone's moving to tag. Well, I mean, the thing is, I'm just so used to Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. No, Twitter an SEO tag. An SEO tag is different than a hashtag. But things are becoming conflated, you know. YouTube does tags. That's true. Instagram does hashtags. Yes. Facebook does hashtags. Do, yeah, okay, yeah. Which makes sense because Instagram is not owned by Facebook. Social media, I mean, it takes so much up. Of the SEO market, but SEO itself, search engine optimization, is not limited to just hashtagging. It's like Mm -hmm. renewing content and SEO tagging. So, like, I'm searching, I'm searching Tiger King and Awesome Rap Podcast. Rookie Movie Reviews is coming up because we have tagged our website. The content fits the tags. Yeah, the content, the renewing content. We should almost start writing small blog posts with every publication. Yeah, that'd be fun. And the thing is... You could practice your writing. The, I feel like social media, as you pointed out, is hashtags. And then when you're getting into things like simple HTML or website building, those are all contained within tags and elements are... Well, yeah. You know, within tag, so there's there's a delineation. If there, yeah, there's definitely if you're in the a delineation. Shit, it's tags. If you're we are well, I'm supposed to be in the shit because I work for an e-commerce website. You you're are supposed in the to shit. be in the shit. I'm not because you. No, no, no. You work for an SSO platform. Anyway, Fools. let's not get into that shit. Nobody gets raped. Awesome guitar scene. Yeah, he rocks hard, and says. A little too early for that, but your kids are going to love it. Yes. Classic joke. Classic. He's he's going straight up noise rock on this shit. He's doing power chords, screeching guitars, uh, really heavy shit, so it's cool. Marty meets Doc on Main Street. You know, they're running out of time. The storm is brewing. Um, Doc and Marty try to go back to the future. There's your basic... I don't know. There's There's stuff that's... 
your uh, tension tension build like there's oh, tension the, building. The tree falls on the wire, so now we have a couple more minutes yeah. to plug shit back <laughs> yeah. in. And I was freaking out because Doc and like it was good movie making, and I had to like level set myself to be like, of course it's gonna work. It's just really good filmmaking. It's it it captures your emotion. I don't know, I don't know if it's the music or the way they write it it's it's probably a combination because that's just good directing spielberg would not produce any trash but i really like this scene because it got me excited and doc and marty have this heartfelt moment because marty has written him this note like the future you're gonna get shot so bad and then doc finds it last minute and he rips up the letter because he's Mm -hmm. like i can't read this I can't meddle with the future. And you feel bad, you get worried because you think you think Doc's gonna die because he dies in our timeline. Prime. The, the he dies in Prime and and it it's gonna it's tragic and Marty has to go back to the future. He he being Doc successfully makes all the connections he gets a little shocky shock because he has to plug in the cables himself. The lightning strikes and Marty's antennae thing hooks on the cable at 88 miles per hour. And he carries out and he disappears because it's science or it's magic. But he hit 88 miles an hour and he got 1.6 gigawatt whatever's. Gigawatts. Gigawatts. And he is back. In He's 85. back now. But he can't relax. The mall. Doc. So. Wait. He, what mall? Lone Pine now. Yo. Because when he crashed into the farmer's office. Or farmer's office. Into the farmer's barn. Which I guess is a farmer's office. <laughs> <laughs> he, he destroys a pine tree. So it goes from Twin Pine to Lone Pine. Uh, popular little Easter egg or movie. Yeah. Well, what did I, We did one episode where I called something an Easter egg. And it was just. You know, how the movie was written. Well, it's just an egg. Yeah, I just got uh, clowned. Rightfully so. I, I would never clown you. I feel like I might have been clowned in this very episode. So, he doesn't get there in time. And he witnesses Doc get shot. And he witnesses Marty from the Prime go back to 55. Runs up to Doc. Thinks he's too late, but... He runs up to Doc, and that bitch is wearing Kevlar, mm-hmm. which is a cheat code. I, best. So Kevlar, I'm pretty sure, weakens with every consecutive shot. So if he got shot, like, eight times, I feel like the eighth one should have gone through. I don't know enough about Kevlar to dispute it. I like his line where Marty says, he said never to meddle with the future, because he taped up the note and read yeah. it. Which I guess kind of refutes my theory that he saw his death on the tape. Because he had to tape the note together to realize that he was going to die. Doc just says, well, you're right, but what the hell? I don't know. It, it's really funny. It's kind of how in Endgame, when they come up with time travel, Hulk says, yeah. basically, time travel. You know, like, don't fucking worry about it. We're just going around. <laughs> And in well, this one, he's like, what the hell? You know, just... It's the end of the, it's well, fine. time is the fifth dimension. Is that so? And our brains cannot comprehend its bending ways. Okay. Because we are a, we are a 3D, possibly 4D person. What's so, the fourth dimension? Smell. <laughs> yeah? I feel like that might be a sense. <laughs> Anyway. Do you want to continue about the... Do you want to keep going on the dimension bit? No. Okay. <laughs> Didn't want to cut that off early. <laughs> you had more to add. It's eight minutes of us laughing. Welcome to this podcast. So Marty goes back to his house. And this is all just straight up revenge porn. <laughs> Biff is a subservient... Hunched. He's got a hunch now. Man, scrubbing Marty's dad, scrubbing George's car. They're loaded. Their marriage definitely seems happier because basically it hinges on George 
being assertive and present. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they've got a great life. His siblings are no longer, you know, fuck-ups. He's got a suit to go to work, his brother. So, one thing to mention about the brother from way back is that he was obviously in some kind of fast food uniform. Yeah. Now he wears a suit. He always wears a suit into the office. The girl... He's like, was it Craig or Greg? I have so many boyfriends. Yeah, I, did they say she was like a f- designer or something? Mm. No. She looked like Edna Mode. Maybe that's why I thought, oh, fashion designer, sure. Because the whole family, when we're watching it, I kind of felt like they were pretty snobbish. So in the past where Biff was, you know, he destroyed George's car... And teased them. They were downtrodden before. And now Biff is like, oh, Mr. McFly, here's your keys. Got it polished. And George is like, make sure you get that second coat on. So he's just as shitty now. No, no, no. (sighs) Biff was trying to cheat him. And Biff is a rapist. Yes. Here's the other thing. Biff, in this future where everything is great, still attempted to sexually assault... Lorraine and now I mean I can't speak for how he would react in a situation like that but I wouldn't want him fucking outside shining my car you know I'd oh no way like get the fuck we'll hire someone else get the hell out of here so that was weird to me but uh the long and short of it is that the McFlys are super wealthy Marty has his own car and his his girl Jennifer shows up they still live in the same exact address they're massively successful and wealthy now, but uh, live in the same house. They probably like eating out too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Want to tie us off here? What What happens when Jennifer shows up? Jennifer. So Jennifer comes along for her lake trip. Do you know who else shows up? Doc Brown. Oh, you didn't even give me a chance to guess. I'm who shows sorry. Up. Doc Brown shows up, and Marty's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Doc says, "It's your children." Something's got to be done about your kids. They hop in the car. was kind of ruined for me because just think of the family guy bit where they make Doc Brown a racist and says, your children, your daughter marries a black man. And they both say, well, yeah, that's fine. He's like, oh. Uh. So that's all I was thinking about during the end. But uh, they get in the car, go to take off because that's not the actual reason. Marty says, we don't have enough road. He says, Roads? Or we're going, we don't need roads. Car fucking flies. Funniest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> Speaking of which, Rick of Rick and Morty totally modeled after Doc Brown. Must be. White lab coat, crazy hair, old guy. Yep. So that's the end of the movie. What do you like and dislike? It was an 80s romp, and I don't think there's too much about that that can go wrong. I mean, I'm sure there's backed by Spielberg. It's a big release. It's going to be an adventure. You're going to like it. It's for it's for moms. It's for dads. It's for children. Yeah. It's for little Joey. It's for them all to enjoy. Uh, the plot is not complicated at all. I mean, time travel in itself, if you think about it deeper, is complicated. But the movie doesn't really approach that. Uh, What didn't I like? I mean, there's some plot conveniences. Like you said, like, why is Biff shining the car when he tried to rape Lorraine? Or, um, there's there's other stuff, of course. Uh, But overall, it's, it's a good time. It is hard to say that a good time is not worthy of a highish review. So I will leave it at that and I'll give you space to talk about what your feelings were. Yeah. Um, like you said, entertaining. It's pretty funny. The characters are all relatively simple but really easy to understand and uh, very consistent. So it's uh, consistently entertaining. There are plot conveniences, and I feel like, uh, I don't know, there's there's some things that are too long, like him walking around, taking in the sights, and there's some things that are kind of failing, like Doc Brown being too invested in 
scientific nomenclature of things like school dances. I don't know, stuff like that kind of sticks with me and annoys me. But uh, yeah, it's overall exciting and entertaining. You want to rate on three? Yeah, sure. One, two, three, seven. Seven and a half. That's fine. Perfect. I like that. Well, thanks for the seven and a half movie, Robert Zemeckis. Thanks for listening. Tweet at us at RC, what is it, RM, review, RMR, what's the handle? At RMR underscore. <laughs> Tweet at us at RMR underscore podcast on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at Rookie Movie Reviews. Anyhow, <laughs> thanks a lot for listening and have a great week. I love you more than I love Dan, Holy if you've listened to this point. Wow. That yep. stings a lot, but uh, it's fine. Text me. My phone number is 715-242-2242. <laughs> <laughs>